Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. Today's guest is vehicle artist at Deep Silver Volition, Cameron Rabb. Good evening, Cameron. Evening. I've never asked someone at Volition what their day-to-day activities look like, but could you explain what a vehicle artist does? Vehicle artist is kind of what I was hired for. What I do on a day-to-day basis depends. I make vehicles sometimes. Uh, Most of what I do is like weapons for the games. How does one get into that? Because that sounds like every 12-year-old boy's dream. Yeah, it wasn't really my dream until I realized you could make a career out of it in like college. I was going to school originally to be an accountant and to play soccer. And after like my first semester of my like business courses, I changed my mind real quick. I realized that wasn't for me. So my roommate was in the computer graphics program and his homework looked a lot cooler than mine did. So I switched. And uh, even when I switched over, I initially just wanted to do like graphic design. But it wasn't until my senior year that I took my first 3D class. And at that point, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And halfway through my senior year, I completely changed my goals and decided I want to be a video game artist and went all in on that. And as you would expect for someone that, you know, sort of chose their life plan halfway through their senior year of college, I did not get a job. When I graduated, I had to move back home. I was living with my parents for a while and just doing a lot of like game stuff on the side. Uh, Eventually I got a job in Peoria with some people I graduated with. Uh, doing Caterpillar simulators, which is like 3D, but not like game 3D. Now, you were one of the current driving leaders of CU Indivisible. It is, of course, a grassroots group in Illinois' 13th Congressional District. You're opposing the Trump agenda, and your goal, according to the website, is to influence our elected representatives and advance the practice of open democracy. It feels like we have fallen really far from that goal. How do we get back on track? I mean, the simplest answer is getting people in office that share that vision, uh, sort of for what democracy can be or should be in the short term. It's putting pressure on people like Ronnie Davis that don't share that vision uh, and trying to hold them accountable by all, all means necessary. We're going to get to Congressman Davis in a second, but with over 1,400 active members, you're among the largest political group in the region. There are a lot of choices to get involved in political activism. Why see you indivisible? We initially started the group, my wife and I, because we, after the, you know, the 2016 election, we realized we needed to do something, but we had no idea what something looked like. And the Indivisible Guide was sort of put together for people exactly like us. And we, once we started the group, we realized we were not alone. There were a lot of people that had all this aggression and anger and frustration and energy and sadness and all these emotions, and they had no idea how to channel them. And so the Indivisible Guide was sort of like a really simple how-to for people with no political experience to get involved in the political process. And so we try and make it as easy as possible for people. If you're, say, for example, you're upset about um, climate change and the lack of action being taken, we have action items that say, here's the issue, here's the person to contact, here's, you know, if they're on a relevant committee in Congress that they may have some more sway than just your average representative. Here's their contact information. If you want to call them, that's cool. Here's what you can say. If you want to email them, that's fine. Here's what you can say. And we basically make it sort of like a la carte, whatever you're comfortable with, you can sort of pick and choose how you want to interact with your representatives. But the, the end goal is that you interact with them. On your website, CU Indivisible does three main things. Let's break them down for a second. One, lobby our legislators on common sense reforms. 
What should we focus on? We've polled our members before. We've discussed this in meetings before, and it really, it varies. When the family separation policy was going on, that's all anyone wanted to focus on. Nobody wanted to really talk about other stuff. It was, let's do this now, which is kind of what the entire Trump administration has felt like. It's it's sort of putting out fires or trying to put out fires or focusing on the next big chaotic thing that they're trying to do. But some of the biggest things and some of the narratives that have sort of like stuck around from the beginning are, you know, trying to get Congressman Davis to actually live up to his role as a representative. Well, one of the main things that's been a focus of ours is to try and hold Representative Davis specifically accountable. In in the Indivisible Guide, it lists your member of Congress as sort of like your first point of contact. If it doesn't get through the House, it can't get to the Senate, these sorts of things. So Davis has sort of been our focus in trying to get him to hold town halls, trying to get him to be responsive to, you know, concerns of people that maybe didn't vote for him or, you know, don't live in the more rural parts of his district. That's been one of the constant focuses and one of the constant challenges as well as we've seen Davis just, he isn't receptive to it and doesn't seem super concerned. The second thing is open spaces for a democratic dialogue. Is it on Facebook, Twitter, live meetings? What do you mean by that? We have our Facebook group where we, the the main focus of the page itself is action, action items. Uh, that's probably like 90% of what we post, but we also make sure to create space for open discussion. So every every Sunday we do a new open discussion post. Anybody can bring up anything they want. And the cool part about that is that it tends to lead to action items down the road. So somebody will say like, hey, I haven't seen any movement on issue X, Y, or Z. They can tag an admin or you know somebody else can tag us. We can take a look at it. We can see if it's something we can focus on and apply pressure to. And then we work, or try to at least, work with that person that brought that concern up on helping them craft their own action item uh, that we can then post in the group. And it's sort of a cool way to get people that aren't typically involved. They may be concerned about something, but they don't know quite how to focus that energy. You know, to see someone say, I'm worried about this, but I don't know what to do, to then they're putting together an action item. The action item gets posted, and a bunch of people are calling their representatives because of that person's sort of concern. It's really neat. And there are some very avid, very helpful people. I don't want to call anyone out because I don't want to leave anybody out, but the people who post on there with helpful items know what they're talking about. It's incredible sort of the the community that's grown from there. And there there's offshoot groups now of CU Invisible. There's the county board group that is just like incredible that so much of the information that we as a as a sort of member group have of what's going on locally comes from that because we realized that we couldn't focus on everything all at once. And so these splinter groups sort of formed so they can gather that information, bring it back to the overarching group, and then we can sort of act on it from there instead of everybody having to be focused on everything. There's a letter to the editor group. Do they get through the News Gazette watchdog? It depends. They changed some of the rules or maybe clarified the rules. There were a lot of people writing in support of Betsy and in opposition to Rodney during the last election. And a lot of them weren't getting through and some calls were made. And then it turned out that they decided that only three letters in support of each candidate were going to be allowed during the, sort of the remainder of the election cycle. Their rationale for that was that it was obvious that there were people organizing and trying to get a bunch of letters through, which seems to be a weird thing to be worried about. You know, constituents sort of being engaged in the political process is not something that you think would be a negative, but the idea that a group of people would sort of join together and try and accomplish a shared goal was 
apparently concerning. (laughs) You preaching, me choir. (laughs) The third thing is to amplify the message of existing groups. So which groups are active and do you like to amplify? And that was one of the first things that we learned as a group is that there were already a lot of people doing a lot of really good work in the community. And from the get-go, we wanted to make sure that we weren't sort of redoing the work that they were already doing. As you said, we're one of the larger groups in the area. We can be a really powerful megaphone for some of these groups that have existed for a long time and maybe haven't gotten traction like they've wanted or maybe don't have the membership that we have or you know the platform that we have. So we try and find groups that we've worked with, for example, like the Immigration Forum, La Casa on campus, Bend the Arc, like you said, uh, some of the environmental groups around here we've worked with. Uh, We had the Ranked Choice Voting Advocates come to our last meeting and do a presentation. So we try and be aware of our position as sort of a well-known group. Let's talk about Rodney Davis for a second. What has CU Indivisible tried to do to get him to listen to our voices? I feel like everything. We've tried everything. He used to have open office hours. Uh, He called them in Champaign. The last one he held was like two years ago. I always like to put air quotes around open on office hours because yeah he holds them in the middle of the day anyone that works probably isn't going to be able to make it but we found out that he was having one you know two years ago and we said okay if if he's not going to come to us we're going to come to him and so we got like 250 people to show up to his open office hours and he and his staff were really trying to make it so you know not too many people could be in the room at the same time they're sort of trying to limit davis's exposure and it's it's obvious why if you've actually sat down and met with him uh, he's not super quick on his feet he sort of is a talking point machine if if he goes off of his sort of prescribed talking points he kind of messes up and sort of embarrasses himself and says things that you know get him in trouble and that he he would not like to be held accountable for. I personally uh, have written several articles for Smile Politely about Davis. We've done you know sort of the open office hours. We've done demonstrations at his office and invited the media and are trying to get you know them to ask him why he won't hold one. Uh, we've you know people have written letters to the editor, called, emailed. Apart from people you know getting in vans and driving to the far end of the district where he holds these office hours now, we're we're doing everything we can still to try and highlight his absence in uh, in CU. You read my mind. We're going to dovetail right into your articles for Smile Politely about Davis. And I printed out pages. I mean, you have focused on him. I know it's hard to narrow it down, but how has Davis failed his constituents? He sells a version of himself as a representative that isn't accurate. He likes to come off or try to come off as this sort of like middle of the road, bipartisan, moderate guy. Um, He'll take any opportunity to talk about how we need to come together and how we need to, everybody needs to be a part of the conversation. But when, you know, you ask him like, okay, where can we have these conversations? It's, it's silence. It's like, well, you could drive, you know, two hours to his open office hours in some small town that you've probably never heard of, or, you know, send us an email and we'll get back to you with a form letter six weeks later. The, the image that a lot of people in the district have of him and the reason that they keep sort of reelecting him doesn't hold up to scrutiny. And he's, you know, I think the most frustrating part about it is he's been really effective at keeping up that facade. Uh, that's part of why I wanted to write the Smile Politely articles is because I felt like this guy is a fraud. 
not enough people seem to like appreciate how disingenuous he is. I was frustrated and they provided me an opportunity to write about it and I, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed your articles. Betsy Londrigan did really well in Champaign-Urbana. What do we do to get through to constituents outside of our little blue island here in Champaign-Urbana? Well, I think the current issues with Trump tariffs and the impact it's having on farmers could be really big. Davis keeps, you know, his his only defense of sort of the devastating impact that these tariffs are having is, well, you know, farmers seem content to wait it out. Farmers are, they're fine. They're not telling me that they're worried about it. But what we're seeing is like record bankruptcies and, you know, farms failing all over the place. And then when these bailouts happen, they're just going to be going, as most bailouts do, to, you know, the big corporate ag uh, companies who coincidentally fund Davis overwhelmingly. Explain it to me, maybe dumb it down for me, that it's a bailout or a welfare queen if a mother, a single mother needs money, but if a farmer gets a bailout, then it's justified? How does that work? Well, I think that's sort of my issue in general with a lot of the conservative arguments out there right now is that if someone else does it, you know, if someone else gets money from the government, it's a handout. But if I get one from the government, I earned it. You know, I, I, I worked for it. Um, when really, you know, we know that everybody's working for it. Everybody's working hard. Everybody's out there, you know, doing the best that they can. And these aren't really handouts. These are, you know, things that, that people have earned. What are some of the key issues that are most important to you and see you invisible? A lot of us are going to walk and parades. We're going to knock on doors. We're going to talk to constituents. It's overwhelming where to start. Uh, climate change, women's health issues. Where do we start? That's a really good, really good question. I don't always agree with a strategy of like looking at what the polls say and seeing, you know, what people's priorities are. But I think it is telling when you look at, you know, polls and people are saying like the environment's very important. healthcare is very important and democracy. Our democratic institutions are failing us right now. And I think a lot of people that feel and have felt for a long time like their vote doesn't matter. We're, we're looking down the barrel of a situation where sort of Republicans have gerrymandered and suppressed votes, and they've basically insulated themselves from the democratic process to a point where, yeah, your, your vote, it's getting close to not mattering in some of these areas. So we have to, for me personally, and sort of how I'm prioritizing candidates in the Democratic primaries, like who understands like the situation we're in and who's looking to address it most acutely? Who is pushing like really big Democratic reforms? I was really happy to see that the first bill House Democrats introduced was HR1. You know, it was expanding access to voting and sort of uh, election security and these sorts of things like that, ending partisan gerrymandering. That sort of stuff, I think, is going to be really important going forward because if people don't feel like what they do matters politically, and we're, we're seeing a little bit of that, unfortunately, in some of the activist groups as people are feeling like we've been fighting this for really hard for like two plus years now, and things just seem to keep getting worse, and you worry about burnout and stuff like that. And so just making sure that like people trust in our democratic institutions again is like really, really important to me. Yeah, also, like I said, the environment, like, you know, none of it matters if we don't have a livable environment. With two kids, I worry about what the planet is gonna look like, you know, when they're when they're my age and when their kids are my age. I worry that they're not gonna have access to affordable health care. They're gonna have to choose between some expense that they have or, you know, being able to see a doctor, which a lot of people are currently doing right now. So I think that's a big issue specifically 
in the upcoming congressional race, Betsy versus Davis. And you can tell, you know, that's sort of what she's leading with again is is her stance on healthcare and her family story and all that sort of stuff. And I think that went a long way in the last one because Davis is just terrible on that issue. He voted for the HCA. He recently voted for a bill that would undermine protections for people with pre-existing conditions. He's got a lot of rhetoric that says he cares about, you know, those people, but his vote says a completely different thing. His, his repeated votes say a completely different thing. So I think personally, democracy, society-wise, democracy and the environment and in aisle 13, I think healthcare is going to be huge again. CU Indivisible is entirely volunteer run. Do you take donations? No. We we did a fundraiser for another group, but we didn't make any money from it, no. One more question before I let you go. You and your amazing wife, Paige, are raising two young boys. Mine's a little older than your two. As the parents of boys, how can we raise them not to be Brett Kavanaugh-y? Well, I'm lucky in that I have my wife as an example for my for my boys of, you know, what women can be. They're... There's sort of this Brett Kavanaugh view of women that's very narrow and very disrespectful, misogynistic. And by living alongside and growing and watching my wife sort of be her own woman, you know, not anybody else's definition of it. The the traditional male and female characteristics don't have to apply. It's it's okay. We you know, we try and get our boys to understand like it's okay to feel things. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. If you need to cry, cry. Like if you're if you're hurt, let's let's talk about it. Those sorts of things. It's my hope. It's our hope as parents that yeah, you know, when they run into these sorts of men out in the world, which they will, unfortunately, that they're that we've raised them in a way that they feel comfortable speaking out, standing up, and stepping in if if need be. Before I let you go, I want to thank you again for creating the artwork for, I have to ask, with Elizabeth Hess. I didn't know how to brand it, and you stepped in with this great logo, so thank you so much. Without you and Mike Ingram, I would not have started this and had so many people kind of notice it, so thank you. Cameron Rabb, thank you for your time today. How can we find you online, or how can we get involved with CU Indivisible? You can go to Facebook and search for CU Indivisible. We have a public page if you just want to follow, like... We post our, our big name events there, um, some of the bigger action items there. Or if you want to you know, be involved in the discussion and these sorts of things, help us plan out action items or maybe make some of your own, you can join the actual the CU Indivisible. It's a private group. Or on Twitter, we're just CU underscore Indivisible. Thank you, Cameron Rab, for your time tonight. Thank you.